is no better disguise than fear. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you have no interest in changing a world that suits you. My name is Shahir Dowd. And I was forced into calligraphy as a child. My name is Jamie Walsh. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Enola Holmes. I will say two things here. One is, uh, I actually believe you might have been forced into calligraphy as a child, Jamie. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Shahir, how are you? I'm good. I'm uh, the, the second thing I was going to mention here was that in every conversation Matt and I have had about this film, I wasn't certain if you were writing this incorrectly on purpose or not or whether you misread the title. But every time you, you texted me, it was Ebola Holmes. Oh, no, that must have been an autocorrect. Because oh, no. yeah, really? it's I on your dock right think, now. Good joke, I Matt. I didn't think it was called Ebola Holmes. Also, as a side note to your side note, I loved how when both of you asked how the other one was, uh, you both ended on a high note. So I kind of knew it was 100% true. That's how we know we're happy to see each other, even if it's <laughs> yeah. on screens. Shahir, what a lovely quarantine beard you have. Oh, I know. Isn't it great? I'm I'm getting to the stage of quarantine beard where I'm like investigating beard oils and beard combs and <laughs> and like I'm going full beard on this thing. That's what we need. We need Shahir to have more beard product. I actually <laughs> I noticed it briefly when I saw you, Shahir, uh, yeah. uh, w- under your mask. But we were, it was too brief an encounter that I could be like, "Whoa, you sporting a full beard there!" Before you got in your car. You know what's fun about this beard? It's got gray hairs through it, which I actually. I kind of dig. So here's a question, Shahir. And you don't have a beard often, so I want to ask at what point... I've never had a beard before. Okay, great. Well, first of all, it's coming in lovely. But you are at the point where you have to make a conscious choice about your beard, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And that choice is neck beard or no mm-hmm. neck beard. And I don't mean like the nerdy people in their basement. You're a nerdy person that lives on a, a in a in a building in in Queens. So like with your family. So yeah. but my but like are you going to are you going to let it grow all the way on your neck and get it bushy like that or are you going to trim it around the chin uh, and just keep it sort of like tight and sort of maybe start hanging off there? I don't think I'm going to trim the neck side of it into into a shape because I feel like I need to accompany that with an open chest shirt and and a gold chain and no 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 I don't, I don't rock those very well not like lightning bolts and shit I'm talking about like just like trimming like no, from your but chin. in my culture like people who have like the trimmed thing it, it's 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 part of a deal that you got to have like you know you show off your chest here with it you rock a gold chain okay your shirt is a little tighter. silky yeah yeah and I'm just I'm, I mean I'm, I think what I'm going for in in my beard life is unkempt uh unkempt genius you know like the person who's like just doesn't have time to shave their face like that's, that's what, what everybody who's that's... ever grown a neck beard thinks yeah too. That, is, that is very true <laughs> uh, maybe i am a neck beard then <laughs> but to be fair you're also rocking uh, at least and maybe the headphones is just making it look like this a sweet jimmy neutron like like hair spike so it's it's yeah. it's all coming together we all is, look great, guys. Every no, no, no. Day just I... Shahir looks great. We don't look great, Jamie. Every day I'm dressed like a Pokemon trainer now. It's, <laughs> I'm, I love quarantine. <laughs> oh, we're blasting off again. Um, well, listen, everybody, uh, if you've listened over the last couple weeks, you've known that we've had, uh, I, I would say, sort of two not only heavy hitter episodes, but heavy hitter guests, uh, meaning we didn't have a ton of time for emails. So uh, Shahir has compiled all of the ones we have missed, and uh, we're going to go through some of them right now. And if you'd like to email us ever, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com and then be put in a trough and eventually uh, have your email read <laughs> when we have the time to do them. I also like the implication here that uh, Jamie is not a heavy hitter uh, in what you just said. 
Jamie is a reoccurring guest. I, I just, and we're also not talking about uh, uh, possible, <laughs> the, uh, multiple issues people have with a, uh, a film about ch- children in compromising positions or the the death of one of the greatest people this country has ever known. We are talking about Enola Holmes today, and we'll get there, but we'll it's also there. a little bit lighter. <laughs> it is, a, it is a little bit lighter. Just, uh, but on the uh, on the topic of a little, well, or, or not a little bit lighter. Remember, uh, you can still uh, let us know that if you've registered to vote based on one of our recommendations to do so, we encourage you to do so. And if you do, we will happily review anything you want to show, you want to send us uh, your cat videos, your um, your uh, what what it could be, your 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 high school thesis. Uh, what else could we review, Matt? The, uh, we could review, review we, uh, your beard. I mean, I think yeah, we've proven we that we are all. Your beard. Excellent oh, beard reviewers. Films yeah. you made in college, but haven't films really you shown made in anyone. college. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to watch some college films because mine are <laughs> terrible. Hey, everybody, send in the nude films that you made. The what? The, the nude, nude films. films. Are, there, are there nude films? In, am I learning something about you, Jamie? What's going on? No, no, not me. I just oh, want. Oh, I just everybody want everybody else made. I just nude want films. people to start sending you guys. Uh, you know, dick pics. Yeah, dick pics. <laughs> yeah. Specifically. I mean. <laughs> No, Matt and Shahir <laughs> will review your dick pic. Listen, if you're gonna vote, if you're gonna vote because of us, and that <laughs> literally is the thing that is going to make that happen, sure. Like I'll, whatever. I will, I, and I will, I will take a full scientific approach on this. I will look at girth. I will look at length. You can send me uh, flaccid and erect, and I will compare the two. And uh, I will get outside opinions. We will interview people. Um, you know. Please uh, fire away, and I will just—I just, will just take—I will just take the opposite approach, mm-hmm. and just first glance, first five words that come to mind. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> we'll All see right. what happens, guys. You have a new podcast. We have a new podcast. We have a new podcast idea. This is the only podcast. But only about if dick you picks, vote, everybody. But only if you vote. So please vote, everybody. Um, Shiri, do you want to take the first non-dick pic email for the day? Yeah, we're going to dive from dick pics to Thomas the Tank Engine here. Uh, it, in an it, email it oddly from works, Stephen. Who uh, referred to? I, I can't remember which episode it was, but we were talking about Thomas the Tank Engine um, in re- in reference to George Carlin. It must have been the Bell and, was, T- Bell and yeah, episode. Yeah, face the music. Um, so, if you recall, in uh, New Zealand, Ringo Starr was the voice of the narrator in Thomas the Tank Engine, and in the United States, it was George Carlin, which yes. was a bit of a whiplash for me. I was meaning to, di- and Stephen writes, I was meaning to dive down and explain how the U.S. show was very different to the British and had live action scenes linked to the revoiced stop motion originals. Mm-hmm. And the precise English accent comment cracked me up in the U.K. because the U.K. voice was um, was done by Ringo Starr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ringo uh, what a lovely beetle we've got here. I don't know how to do Ringo What stuff. the fuck is happening today? <laughs> it's like five British people he, at once. He grows a beard and he's doing Ringo Starr impressions. Oh, but no. also referencing a lovely beetle. <laughs> so he's not Ringo Starr? Sorry, let's What's continue no, Ringo Starr was part of the Beatles. Yes, but he wouldn't say, oh, a lovely beetle, or whatever the hell you did. He's a beetle. He's not going <laughs> to... Anyway. I was trying to... You know what? Okay, if we want to get really deep into the reference, I was thinking of the moment in The Simpsons when Lisa goes to the dentist and ends up in a fever dream and imagines she's on the yellow submarine and Ringo Starr is there. I can't remember exactly what Ringo Starr is, but it was that specific is what I was thinking of. Uh, Stephen, I hope you're, you're very, you're, you're liking this tangent in your email. (laughs) Steven continues, the Dune trailer looked fantastic and the fan service with the Pink Floyd cover is pure catnip to me after the disappointment 
of Tenant. Wow. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, Dune trailer looks hot, hot, hot. I, the only thing that could, make, I, that could make the Dune trailer better would be if Ruby Rod showed up somewhere in it. Who's Ruby Rod? Shut your bearded mouth, Shahir. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Who Wait, is Ruby name, Rod? Say the name again in case I can, I can, in case I can hear it. Ruby Rod! Don't know who that is. Uh, he's oh, the no. person who told you the winner of the Gemini Croquet Contest! I don't know what that is. Ruby Rod is the DJ in Fifth Element, uh, played by Chris Tucker. That is correct. Uh, Not DJ, shock jock. He's a shock oh, yeah. jock. He's the first influencer in the future. I will hand off my Nick Beard card for not knowing the fifth element that well. Yeah, you need to shave your neck beard now so I can staple it to my face. I've earned it. <laughs> All right, anyway. keep reading. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Jamie's keeping us on task. Our next email, it's from Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi, Laura. Laura says, I'm absolutely floored by this film, so it was so great to hear you guys talk about it in depth. That was, of course, in reference to our movie uh, review of I'm Thinking of Ending Things, I believe. Uh, she continues, Totally agree that knowing the full extent of the concept isn't as important as the experience of the film itself, which I thought I'd bring back to the Nolan comparison. Again, we I think we cross-referenced uh, Nolan films when we were talking about this in our review. But she continues, I bravely went and saw Tenant. There's been no cases in my city for almost two months now. And after thinking about I'm thinking of ending things, I realized there's a very similar, but at the same time, different experience when watching these two films. Ooh, do tell. Without spoiling Tenet at all, the general experience for me was having to learn that it didn't matter if I understand what was going on, which I didn't for a solid 45 minutes, <laughs> and just trust that the film would explain or make sense of it later. I would say this was a reluctant choice, but necessary for being entertained by this film. However, my experience with I'm Thinking of Ending Things almost felt as though the film asked you not to worry about where it was heading or if it made sense, but rather to enjoy the slight chaoticness of it. But I wouldn't say this was reluctant in the way that it was for Tenet. It was strangely comforting just to let the movie happen, you know? TLDR, it was a compromise to accept the unknowingness of watching Tenet in order to enjoy it. There was enjoyment in the acceptance of the unknowingness when watching I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Thank you, Laura. Yeah. Hey, so this, yeah, this, you know, look, this experience was something um, I, I learned in high school. And it was um, when we were reading Shakespeare for the first time. I don't know what it was like when you got like your your first Shakespeare play that you had to read. I think mine was Othello or Macbeth or something like that. I don't remember. And, you know, like we're, you're 13 years old and you're like you just don't have a comprehension of the language. And, <laughs> I kind of remember and, that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and so uh, the, my English teacher was just like, look, don't worry if you don't understand what's happening. Just keep reading and eventually over time you'll kind of find yourself slipping into the rhythm of, of what's happening. Sure. And that's what's important. And and I think the, the, I, I like this idea that she's that? bringing up, which is that in Tenant, it's, um, it's something you have to kind of begrudgingly do because the movie is like <laughs> essentially a genre movie, right? It's like a, it's a heist movie. It's a, it's a, it's a big budget actioner. So you kind of like reluctantly having to, go along with it going, I don't know what's happening, but, you know, I'm sure this will come together. Whereas I'm thinking of ending things is this sort of off-kilter, weird, quirky film where you're like, I don't really know what's happening, and as long as I enjoy it, that's all that matters, right? Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I, I haven't seen Tenet, so I can't sort of make the comparison, but I love that the comparison exists. I also, uh, to echo Jamie's uh, near-silent point when we, you were talking about your teacher, uh, yeah, that's a that's a very uh, progressive school you're going to. Here, read this, but like it doesn't matter. Like if Eventually you're, if you're... it will absorb into you. 
Really? Like how, so how he learned the language of no, the Thirteenth Warrior. It's, it's wow. It's it's not wrong at any means. In fact, it makes a ton of sense. I'm just saying that I feel like that's a that's a very specific schooling moment that I did not have. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, I, so I was. What, what like, was your experience it, of reading Shakespeare for the first time? It was. I mean, again, I don't remember the play that it, what, that we did, but I do remember a not really understanding what was going on, and b uh, feeling stupid in the class for not understanding what's going on. So, huh. and, and there was never any like, oh, don't worry about it because the exact true thing that your teacher told you. It was just sort of like plow through it and get it done. I don't know. Maybe my teacher didn't have huh. a reverence for it, or I don't know. Jamie, what well, about you? I, I'm, yeah. What about uh, you, Jamie? Uh, mine was the Tempest. Uh, yeah. And I read it when I was very young, um, sort of with the class. But I think it was abridged. I don't know. But I remember being like, ooh, this is tough. This is a weird yeah. one. Uh, and asking yeah. a lot of questions. And then once you start to recognize, uh, to me, like you can get to that point of understanding as you're reading, but you have to start, I think, with discussion and kind of referencing and, and picking it apart. Um, but... Yeah. Maybe she here is just smarter than us because he's this messy intellectual. That is true. You know? That is true. Yeah. I will also say um, th- what I kind of uh, tie this to more, Shahir, and it's just my experience. I, it's the same experience you describe, and I think you got it at a younger age than I did, when I just uh, finally got through Dune, like the actual right. book Dune. I, you know, it, it, it's not that it's the same sort of non-understanding uh, sort of threshold as I feel like a Shakespeare play would be when you first start reading them, but uh, it, there is sort of a, a learning curve to it, and it was made better by the fact, and this is more to Jamie's point as well, that I was reading it with a uh, book club that we did over at Extra Credit. Right. So like, right. it 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 was a much easier way to sort of inject in. Like, I wanted to really understand what I was reading for the other people, so I could have salient thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> not no. like this podcast at all, by the no, way. No, 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 no. Again, <laughs> five words about your dick pic, and it's going to be the first five that come to my mind. I'm not going to think about it too much. Okay, only podcast, only <laughs> only movie podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up with your dick pics, uh, or don't. But you have Shake to vote. It. You have to register to vote. There's you have to a lot register going to vote. On. This is the worst incitement for registering to vote I think I've ever seen on the internet. Uh, Jacob, who's who's also writing us in with I'm Thinking of Ending Things, I really enjoyed watching this film through the lens of a man's dwindling relationship with hope. The fact the young woman in this film had multiple names reminded me of how I used to give superhero-ace names to myself. I would call on these names like totems. Hey, there's a uh, Inception uh, reference. There it is. In moments when I needed my relationship and with hope to be stronger. It was tragic to watch Jake cough cough that name felt a little close to home call upon hope for what i think he may have thought was the last time i really loved fe- uh feeling my experiences reflect across this film and loved hearing how your experiences did as well man that was a good movie yeah. that was such a great movie yeah yeah go see uh charlie kaufman's i'm thinking of anything things which is available on netflix right now as is the next film oh yes that is true next email is from alias uh, about cuties as Shahir has just said they say i just wanted to write to expand on the point Shahir brought up, how movies are created with explicit boundaries set by the actors. I recently listened to a Bechdel cast episode on The Breakfast Club in which they described how the director really wanted to do some inappropriate shots with Molly Ringwald, and Ringwald's mother had to fiercely veto them. The director went on to shoot one of those vetoed shots with a body double. If Ringwald's mother didn't have the fortitude to stand up for her daughter against what the director wanted to do, I imagine Ringwald herself would have been pressured into it. 
because this very subject of actor boundaries and coercive directors was so recently on my mind, and because Shahir briefly touched on the subject of actor boundaries, I wanted to write in and ask if you could shine a bit more light on the process. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alias. I, I got to get the pronunciation of that name right. Alias? Alias? Ah. Let us know, please. It, Let us is know. it Elias? Uh, and Elias? And register to vote and don't send us a dick. Card. Don't do that. Um, not just you, everybody, but if that's what it takes, we know what we know. One hundred percent. Okay, let's get back to the email. <laughs> she here. Um, I can talk to my experience, but I I did write down, I did make a note, sort of a mental note of a few uh, movie connections with directors that I thought were interesting to 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 talk about here. Um, so uh, please go back and listen to our episode on Cuties, where we talk about the relationship between the director and actors, and whether that relationship is exploitative or not. I don't believe it is. I just, you know, fundamentally, it's uh, near impossible, in my opinion, to be exploitative under the conditions by which a film is made. However, well, are, are you saying out, in 2020? Are you because yeah. I, I can think of a lot of films. We could definitely argue about that for a while. I, I, I personally think it's very, very. Di- I, I like. I can't think of the situation because the machine of making a film is so challenging. However, I mean, look I at look wanna, at Harvey Weinstein, I, man. Like this stuff happens all the time. Uh, on product on set production and what i mean but i do okay. i do completely agree and i've listed a couple of examples here of moments where this is hap- where certainly um people have broken the boundaries of what should be the safety of a film set and you know i'm thinking of um there was the case of bernardo bertolucci and marlon brando on the last tango in pra- paris i think a more fun example of this that the actors actually really responded to was john singleton on boys in the hood where he actually fired a live gun uh, into the air so that the actors would react to it in the right way that, at the right time that's you know, fucking actually- terrible well, it is terrible, but the act, none of the actors complained about it or sure. Bad but about like it. They, on the other hand, Brandon Lee died from something like that. Like right, that's but, not no, fucking Brandon cool. Brandon Lee died from being shot at with a round that wasn't a fake round. He John Singleton fired a gun into the air. Okay, still a live gun on set, man. Just saying. Like, I don't know if it was a live gun or not. It, it's, well, he fired point a gun. Here. Perhaps a less controversial example is also the Blair Witch Project, where they said you're going to be intense in the woods. And that's really it. And then the actors had no idea what was going to happen around them. Yeah. I think, is is it actually the case that they didn't know? I don't know. I think they knew 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 they were filming a frightening movie, but they didn't know where the sounds were going to be coming from or what they would hear. Um, The other one is Alfred Hitchcock with Tippi Hedren on the birds, where uh, it's noted that she felt very um, abused by Hitchcock and and, uh, he was literally throwing live birds at her. so definitely, you know, in, in the case that they mentioned with um, uh, the Breakfast Club, Molly Ringwald as well, there are numerous cases where that boundary has been um, broken and, and, and in a way that is profoundly wrong. Um, I, I can speak to my experience. I made a film with uh, four kids uh, uh, who were all teenagers at the time. I think the youngest was 12 years old. Um, and... The, you know, we were a small uh, independent short film in New Zealand that was financed by the New Zealand government. But um, the, you know, we, the process of making that film and the level of trust that you have to create with the, with actors and kids of that age means you, you have to treat, um, you, you can't break those boundaries. Otherwise you break the boundaries of like what it is you're making. Uh, that was my experience anyway. And, and we did things on that film that were 
challenging. So, for example, the film is about these young kids spending the day off on the school holidays and they get into a bunch of trouble and, you know, one of them steals from a local store. Um, and so for one of the actor rehearsals, um, I dropped these kids off in, in my old neighborhood and I got them to wander around and do certain tasks, one of which was steal from the local store. Now, I had told the parents about what we were doing. Everyone uh, that was in, you know, like the store owners all knew that it was happening. Most the kids, I didn't tell them that it was um, what we would, you know, that they were actually stealing. But, you know, we, there was a kind of implicit understanding to begin with that that you wouldn't do anything that was going to be dangerous or anything that would get you in trouble. Um, so, you know, we did that and it was a really great bonding exercise for the entire crew and everyone, you know, and everyone involved. Sure. Um, but you know, that was pushing the boundaries of our region. And to do that, we had to, you know, we went to great lengths to make sure that the mechanisms by which we did that ensured that nobody was getting harmed or nobody was doing anything that was beyond the boundaries. Every parent was contacted and was told that this was going to happen. They all agreed to it. They all understood why it was going to happen. You know, like there was just a long negotiation process. And sure. I, in my opinion, if we had done that without telling the parents or without setting up the stage to do that, because I think, you know, like the John Singleton case, the process of making a film requires some leaps of faith. You know, like you do need to kind of create a trust between the director and the actor. Um, but you need to do it in a safe way and in a way that is comfortable for, you know, like for both parties. Um, yeah, I, I think, though, I do take a little. And, and again, that's absolutely great. And I would expect nothing less of you, a kind and caring person to care for people on your set. Just like I don't think, uh, though, I don't know. But from everything I've read, the things on uh, on the set of Cuties, whether or not it was good, what the what the girls were doing was conducted with uh, mental health professionals and a couple other, you know, sort of in uh, parent consent. And it was all very closely monitored, yada, yada, yada. But um, I mean, I think we've seen that. There are safeguards for sure, but like even with all of our examples and just sort of the reputation of a lot of real scummy people in Hollywood, like ex exploit exploitation and abuse has happened on film sets kind of consistently. I mean, hell, I mean, you could even look no further than Quentin Tarantino uh, in the car crash in, uh, in Kill, Bill. Kill Bill. Like, yeah. there's th there's lots of space for this. I know that there's, there's definitely mechanisms and unions and laws that are, like, actually actively trying to do it, but especially in, in, a, in a kid's case, and again, I'm not saying this for cuties, but, like, picture Breakfast Club, like, uh, actually how Alias says. If, what if Molly Ringwald's mom wasn't a good mom and just said, right. yeah, do it, whatever. Like, and I'm sure that happens a lot as well. So like it's uh I a hundred percent agree that uh people that are good not only good directors but good people like Shahir and, and a bunch of others take great care in doing uh their things. But I, I don't think uh I, I don't wanna just because there are people that are doing it correctly definitely doesn't mean that there aren't people that aren't. Of course, of course. And I and, and there are numerous cases throughout history where where that boundary has been broken. I think what I'm trying to say here is those are exceptions, not the rule. And in my experience, the rule is you cannot, you know, like there, there's just like, and maybe it's because of the um, the, the level of director that I am. Um, I, there's no way I could film a scene like a scene from Cuties and do it in a way that was exploiting the actors. I would need to, I would need to personally 
talk to everybody involved. I would need to choreograph that very closely. I would need to understand exactly why every shot was being shot. And I would need to ensure that the actors were being taken care of so that nothing pushed the boundaries that they were comfortable with. But the reason of why course, that is, other than the law, is because you want to do that because it's the right thing. Of course. And there are certainly cases. But my other point here is, is, is that filmmaking does push, you know, like inherently there is a boundary pushing, uh, a desire to push boundaries in filmmaking, right? Like that, that, sure. that, that exists. Um, and I, this is no way uh, making excuse for any of the cases that we've, uh, that, that, that we've me uh, mentioned here. I, I just say that the, uh, in my opinion, it's generally people that I've worked with and, and the way sets like this work and, 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 you know, and these sorts of things, there is a, a sort of effort to be safe and to make sure that everyone feels comfortable. It, of course, there are people who are unscrupulous and are willing to not do that. And they are the worst. And, yeah. and you, sh and, and you should avoid those kinds of sets and films altogether, but it does happen. Um, the other side of this is that in relation to cuties, um, it doesn't strike me if you look at the context of what everything that film is doing, that that is a film that is going to, that is out to exploit the people working on the film. Um, I just, I don't see it now. I could be wrong about it. Uh, I'm, I'm only going on the text itself. Um, but, but that's my feeling about it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like uh, look no further. The, the example that I kind of want to mention here that I thought about a lot when we were, when we were talking about cutie, cuties was Larry Clark's film, uh, bully, which has, mm -hmm. um, a sort of really misplaced or unusually placed crotch shots of one of the actors. Um, and there's a long conversation, uh, around between the editor and the director as to why that shot is there. And, I don't know, like, that's a film where I watch it and I go, I'm not sure that that shot is really needed to be there or is doing what I think the director wants to do, and it kind of feels exploitative to me. But I think generally, you know, like, there's no discussion about whether, I, I don't know if there's a discussion of whether the actors felt exploited by it. It 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 seems very challenging to do that in order to exploit. Like, it's 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 very, the, the process of making a film is so difficult. Right, you're trusting so in the systems. You had to I, jump through. And I fully ex uh, accept that there are people who act in bad faith and abuse the power to get around those safeguards. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a consistent uh, and interesting and sometimes terrible conversation. And uh, go back and listen to our cuties episode if you'd like to hear more about that. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, we got one more share. You want to read Terse Man's final email for the day? Tourist man, the uh, what is he? The the, the official, official uh, Topam historian. Official Topam historian. Thanks for writing in, tourist man. Uh, this past year has completely changed my life. I embarked onto a new foray into college, began a new job, and started listening to your podcast. <laughs> and now, one year later, I have found a love for film and the craft of filmmaking that I never had before. I have a desire to create and ne that never existed in my life. I have a drive to pursue a position in television film production, a drive that I literally did not possess until this year. And in a year where each month descends into a, a down uh, a spiral of hate, stupidity, and tragedy, I find myself using the talks of the almost black Power Ranger. I think he's referring to you there. The perfect the notes taken and the consistent bickering of two podcast hosts that bring me joy again. And with the world seemingly getting worse, I fall deeper in a dark descent of despair. I find solstice in the kind words that are given to me by Shahir. 
not sure what he's talking about. The comedic prose of Matt, again, don't know what he's saying. And the community built on some of the smartest people I've ever known. All I can say is thank you. Thank you for being so inspiring, even when you don't try to be. Definitely not trying to be. Thank you for being so welcome and kind. And thank you for giving a lost soul some purpose in life. All I could ever ask is you, uh, too, is that you continue being awesome, doing great things, and inspire the masses. Aww. Aww, buddy. Thanks, man. That's so, it's only been a year? Since you started listening to the to since, the podcast, since he started listening, yes. I I yeah. know. I feel like I've known Turstman <laughs> for my entire life. I'm not I even like on this podcast, well. and I'm like Turstman. <laughs> yeah, what up, Turst? Um, there's one more thing I can ask, and that is for you to do Real Steel. And no, I won't stop bringing it up. Please don't. And also the Cornetto trilogy, since you've only had the request since 2016. But hey, who's counting? Hey, it's the last Facebook request that we have to do. Uh, <laughs> Terrence, man, thank you so much for the kind words. And I'm glad that um, our inane ramblings can, uh, uh, you know, even in a small way, help get you into film, filmmaking, uh, and all that jazz. So I look forward to seeing what you do. Uh, okay, so. We finally made it. We made it. We got through our emails. Yeah, so. We're going to spin around. We're going to put the time code in ye old uh, episode because we've been told that that is helpful. And now we're going to go and discuss this week's film, Enola Holmes. I thought we were Enola. doing Jaws. No. I'm leaving. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, didn't really commit to the bit there, though. You got up and the headphones pulled you back. I know. You're and literally when tethered. I attached to the desk by wires, I really have to shorten my via bits. wires. Um. So I, I brought this film uh, up to Shahir and to Jamie because, uh, again, after the two uh, heavy hitter films we did the last two weeks, I needed, I, I needed a nice palate cleanser, and this sounded like what that would be. Uh, in fact, uh, I don't know if this was the correct way to watch the film, but I watched it directly after this first round of presidential debates. You uh, know what? So did I. Did you? <laughs> I, re I literally did the same thing. <laughs> and talk about tonal whiplash. That must have been like breathing pure oxygen. I, I feel like... After being in a mine. I feel like... Uh, well, Jamie and I also just recently rewatched Pulp Fiction for fun, and I feel like I started to feel like Uma Thurman did when they jabbed her with the adrenaline shot through her, her sternum there. No, but she, she was reinvigorated. I feel like I'm Uma Thurman snorting the, coke, uh, the heroin in the bathroom and realizing how much I fucked up. Oh no, Every that's time I open the news. That oh no, no no, I'm sorry. I'm saying I uh, the cocaine in this analogy and the uh, drug-induced coma was the debate, mm -hmm. and the adrenaline shot for me personally was Enola Holmes. Okay. Uh, I, meaning uh, I guess if we're getting right into it, um, I really liked this film. It was charming, and uh, a little bit a little bit breezy. I have some issues with it. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But, like, overall, I really dug it. Millie Bobby Brown uh, was super fun. Helena Bottom Carter, always a joy. Henry Cavill took a break from building his third gaming PC and decided to play a pretty suave Sherlock Holmes. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of dug this all the way around. What about you, Shahir? Well, do you want to tell us what the IMDb synopsis for Enola, uh, Enola Holmes is? Ebola Holmes? Yeah, I'll Ebola tell you what Holmes. Ebola Holmes is about. Here we go. Ahem. <laughs> When Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a super sleuth in her own right as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. Oof. Young lord. Um, I am a, a, a fan of Sherlock Holmes. I, I have um, 
several, I, I think there are four books, uh, volumes of Sherlock Holmes short stories. I have all of them. And often when I want to kickstart my reading habits again, I will grab a, a, oh. um, a, a short story from Sherlock Holmes and read that. Didn't um, know that? But, Makes total sense for your personality type. Yeah, I, I just, I find uh, Sherlock Holmes stories delightful. Um, and I love reading them. And I think um, as a, the, the, the fact of the matter is Sherlock Holmes is the most uh, filmed fictional character of all time. I yes. Mean, there is, yeah, the, the most films have been made about Sherlock Holmes. And recently we've obviously seen uh, the Robert Downey, jo- uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, iteration and, of course, the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, television. And there was the, the Americanized version of that as well, right? Mm-hmm. The, with, um, uh, what is his name from Train Spotting? Um, oh, I've gone blank on the name, on the actor's name, but, you know, from Train Spotting. And there's been a lot uh, of sort of like, I mean, heck, even Will Ferrell did a. Did yeah, a, a Holmes did and a, Watson thing. Yeah, Holmes and Watson. And, and I think this is because the the actual um, uh, the property has slipped into the public domain, and so there's there's actually a, oh. a really interesting there's an interesting uh, cases around what is Sherlock Holmes in the public domain versus what is Sherlock Holmes as owned by the Arthur um, Conan Doyle Conan Doyle uh, estate. There's a, there's there, a lawsuit it, out right now on Enola Holmes. Yeah, because the argument is is that certain characteristics that make Sherlock Holmes Sherlock Holmes are part of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story set, but there are other characteristics of of Sherlock Holmes which are not. And so, for example, the Watson and Holmes story that Will Ferrell was in and John C. Riley only borrows the Sherlock Holmes identity and can skirt away without having to buy the rights for the entire film. Um, but this so, the, the, the lawsuit here is based around the fact that. Only a certain number of the earlier works are in the copyright free zone and or, or public domain or whatever. And and because Sherlock Holmes, Henry Cavill, begins to show emotions, mm. this is literally this is literally in the in the lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, they feel that they are borrowing from later Sherlock Holmes things that are not in the public domain where he actually starts showing emotion. And that yeah. is the basis of of this entire thing, which actually I really appreciate what Henry Cavill had to say about this because people are obviously asking him. He actually said, I mean, honestly, I don't have a take on it. <laughs> it's a it's a character from a page which we worked out from the screenplay. The legal stuff is above my pay grade. And I just really <laughs> liked that because I was like, yeah, Henry Cavill, go what back. A, what a cheeky little listen, comment, Henry listen. Cavill, probably highest grossing actor in the film. Go back, go back and play some Warframe. Uh, I'll be over in a little bit. We can we can swap LED uh, processor coolers. It'll be great. I don't want to make now, your podcast lowbrow, but <laughs> I will say I got it a little bit with Henry Cavill this time around. Henry Cavill mm. tends to be someone that I'm like, I don't really get it. You know, <laughs> what the overall... What do you mean get it, Jamie? Well, uh, you know, uh, as a lady, there's oh. a lot of pressure to 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 swoon a bit for Henry. Uh, and, and, and also, I think people are really enjoying him in a variety of films in an unsexual manner. And I don't really care for him. And in this, I really liked him. Well, but You really I, cared for him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I cared for him. You know what he reminded me of in this film was like a buff Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> he was like he's a, like twelve he's Timothy like, Chalamet. If you put Timothy Chalamet together. in the Captain America machine, you yeah. would get Henry Cavill. You would get Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> That's the perfect analogy. The the Captain Britain machine is uh, Timothy Chalamet to begin with, and Henry Cavill to end with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I I think he's uh, delightful in this film, uh, and I think the film is delightful. I think uh, Millie Bobby Brown really sells both the 
um, the familial aspect of what makes, uh, you know, like the idea that she is the the unknown sister to Sherlock Holmes and dealing with the 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 repressive issues of the 18th century. Um, you know, like I think this film makes great strides or attempts to make great strides in creating a reformation of the 18th century um, in terms of its relationship to women. And I think, you know, like it's obviously it, it kind of what it's doing is obviously um, attempting to address the fact that Sherlock Holmes is really a boy's story and stories of this period don't address women's issues in a way that that um, is not. Uh, is you know is fun and lighthearted in the way that Sherlock Holmes stories can be. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, and, and and there are moments where I think the film does really well to address that, and there are moments where I think the film is clearly doing that, and maybe making so much of an issue out of it that it it starts to forget what makes the film engaging to begin with, which is the familial dynamics, the sort of the the basic the, the way I'd characterize this is the the Harry Potter esqueness of this whole thing, kind of gets lost somewhere in the middle of this film, and 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 I will say, um, there are sort of two cases going on in this movie, and mm-hmm. one kind of gets abandoned midway through. Well, they and, kind of intertangle with one another. Oh, do you mean the warehouse is full of bombs? <laughs> the warehouse is yeah. full of bombs, <laughs> and the, the 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 whereabouts of Enola Holmes's mother, which seem to be like that. You know, this idea of like Enola Holmes's mother being this sort of. Um, uh, progressive uh, teacher who doesn't want to see her daughter grow up in a world that she grew up in and wants to change it um, radically. That story sort of gets a little lost in my opinion sure. as yeah. we get introduced to the to the other story. Um, and and I kind of missed that dynamic. Like I, I kind of missed that that was really what was driving me through the first hour of this movie. Um, and when it became a story of um, the Marquis, or what was his name? The the Marquis, or something like that. It was the, a the long name that I didn't care to remember. The more Timothy Chalamet-ist character, character. Um, the I, I kind of I I just found that it, it got a little less interesting. Um, but it is delightful. This film is 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 absolutely delightful. And 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 what I think is great about it as well is that I think it's a kids movie that doesn't pander to being a child. Yeah, it's young it's adult. It's young adult, and it's playful in the way that um, that can be young adult, but it's also uh, grown up in the way that I think young adults are starting to look at the world in which they live in. Yeah, also uh, the character who plays Tewksbury, the, the Duke, St. Clair, whatever the heck, 9,000 names, Tewksbury, uh, is, is uh, Louis Partridge, or Louis Partridge, Louis? depending on how you want to say it. How yeah. fun would it be to have the last name of Partridge? Jamie loves really birds. I have other things to say, but I just, you know, that's that's well, my number. Well, Jamie, one. what now about you? Sheer and I have sort of gone our, our things. How did you feel about this film upon initial viewing? Did you watch it right after a global shit show? Uh, so actually, you know, uh, on Tuesday evening, I decided that for the sake of my own sanity, as a not undecided voter, who's undecided? Who? Who are you? <laughs> uh, I I was not going to watch the debate. I just I couldn't do it. I like would feel my heart rate go up when when I started. And then instead of watching the debate, I just stayed on Twitter for the whole time. Yep. I just desperately checked everything about the debate. You got to mainline it. It was it was pretty stupid. You um, got to inject it into your cornea. So I I uh, I ultimately watched it this morning um, when I had a little time. I got up early and and decided to treat myself to a morning movie. Nice. Um, I. I, I wonder if I had kind of the opposite experience with as you two. I, I spent a lot of the time of the movie sort of not having a great time. Mm, um, yeah. I 
And I think maybe uh, Shahir, you've you've made a point of like when when once you start to sort of lose track of uh, uh, Anola looking for her mother, you know, as as much as I think that the two young actors do a great job and they have lovely like chemistry and the, the stakes are so high of their like burgeoning romance, even though it's like tween, uh, I, I I didn't have the interest that I did when I was watching like Helena Bonham Carter do anything. Uh, yeah. I would love to see her fire arrows inside of a house all day. A whole movie of that would be great. <laughs> um, I definitely, I hadn't looked the movie up at all. And so as I was watching it, I thought, oh, this is definitely a young adult book. This is a right. book. Because cool. it falls to the, I think, uh, a slight flaw that a lot of young adult, uh, and I'll say maybe female-driven books, uh, probably male-driven too, um, have where it's it it they have their cake a little too much and eat it too like there's a little too much convenience for success um yeah. and it ends up feeling a little uh too consistent uh and a little hypocritical of itself like she lives in this derelict mansion and she's grown up essentially a recluse and yet she has tremendous poise and can just get through everything on her charm and intellect and seemingly trained wit even though she has has you know they keep saying well, like you'll never go to finishing things, school. Right? No, I mean they make a point of kind of being like you're untrained, but she's good at everything. Well, well you see, there's uh, a whole training montage of her mother training her in certain things, not like how to balance things, a book. But she can do everything, and right. so then the finishing school felt to me a bit paltry. But at the uh, same time, sorry to interrupt. But at the same time, Sherlock Holmes stories are entirely that as well. Like sure. Sherlock Holmes is just a dude that's great at everything. Sure, but it's not. It's less about the idea of like you'll never be a lady in Sherlock Holmes books. Um, yeah, that's okay. one example. She also. Uh, you know, she puts on. She does this whole dressing scene where she dresses in in the red, uh, the red Victorian gown. She puts on her own curse corset and panniers, which is not an easy feat. Uh, <laughs> and then she does martial arts for like yeah, forty five minutes, the, and the I was like, "This is fucking stupid." The and then cross. when she gets to finishing school, sorry everybody, I'm definitely spoiling some. Oh things. yeah, we're in spoilers now. She, you know, there's that scene of her like struggling to put a corset on, and I was like, "We just did a whole thing where you're an acrobat, you're fucking." Cirque du Soleil, come on! So that's where it lost me a little bit too. There's, that that moment when it's sort of like it, it when she gets to the, like the finishing school when they like catch her and she has to go back to this stuff. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm like, why is this a problem for you? It's a movie writing yeah. thing, and but, and you know she like she it, it's just it's just convenience of plot of what we need for the protagonist to succeed. Well, not even succeed. What we need for the protagonist to do the arc thing that we want them to do. Because the, the stuff that I found not believable was not that she was succeeding at everything. Again, a Sherlock Holmes movie, if this is someone in Sherlock's family, I just assume they're going to succeed it's at true, everything. It's true, because there is a level of genius it's that when, you assume. It's, it, it's the same type of thing as, as if you put Sherlock Holmes in a situation where he just wasn't good at everything. And But but even though it's half of the stuff it seems like he should have, he's already proven he's good at, but now that he's in this school for boys, like... so. Uh, <laughs> It leads to my point of an annoyance that I have with Sherlock Holmes writing. Um, and I, I say this, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a bit of a Philistine and I haven't read any Sherlock Holmes books. <laughs> but in all of the uh, Sherlock Holmes film and and uh, and TV that we see, I, I've gotten to a point where I get a little mad when I'm watching them. Because it's, it's almost like it's written backwards, where it's such oh, it a is. dopamine it's... hit for the audience where... You're like, what happened? And he's like, ah, oh, well, obviously, because there's a parrot loose in the room and the parrot's got a little bit of soot on its wings. I've deduced that the killer escaped through a chimney and and had wings. And you're like, how do you know? Like, it, yeah. it, it's, it, it's, such an, it's such a tool of writing that I can see how it's so delicious to go through. But 
I I find it to be a bit tiresome eventually. And right. I didn't think this movie did it too much in her. I liked her solving problems. I liked she solved them differently. I, and I loved the flower kit. Like I, you know, the, yeah. the the even though she said she didn't know anything about flowers, like two scenes later, it's fine. Uh, mm. I, I I I really liked how she worked through the story. Uh, I just I did yeah. notice the shape shift of that Holmes annoyance that I usually have just kind of go to a different aspect of her like her like girl getting around in the city attitude. Yeah. There's definitely a quality to Sherlock Holmes where he's a little bit um, um, too prescient and, and like knows everything about every moment. And I yeah, think, it like, becomes a little what but I, but I I guess that that's the actual thing that I like about the writing sometimes is where he comes up with logical fallacies or logical connections that can only be derived by, you know, clever writing. And, and I kind of, and I enjoy just the clever writing, you know, like, like mm-hmm. making the connection between the, 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 the you know, the butterfly um, pattern on someone's shirt to them, you know, knowing exactly how to murder a, a you know, crows or something like that. You know, like it's just this this elaborate set of connections that that don't make sense, and and he manages to put them together. It it's, sounds like um, you respect more the author's work than the character of Sherlock Holmes, right? Like, I, I well, I, what I like is the is the conceit. It's 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 also what I like about um, um, Jason Bourne, which is that the conceit that he, you know, knows exactly how to get out of a situation ahead of time. Uh, even even as we're just orientating ourselves as the audience, and I I, I just like that quality. It's the quality I actually miss in Batman a lot of mm. times. You know, like <laughs> Batman is meant to be the world's greatest detective, and there's very few instances in the movie of him where detecting. He's he's doing detective work that doesn't seem ridiculous. Side note: uh, Jason Bourne for me is Jason boring. I <laughs> I'm oh, every time one of those movies has been put on, I get sleepy. Uh, I, I haven't just, read the I books. I just like in the first in the first Jason Bourne movie. There's that scene where he's at a diner and he says, uh, "I know exactly how I would take down that person. I know this person has a gun inside their car, and I would be able to get it if I needed to get through that." You know, I just like that. I like that he's sort of bringing. He has this sort of level of situational awareness that is beyond the scope of what we would ordinarily consider, and it's fun to watch. Um, I, I do think the film is coasting on the. The no, it's not coasting. That's that's. Are we talking about Enola? We're talking about Jason. We're talking about Enola Holmes. Okay. The film is really, its strength is Millie Bobby Brown and and the way she, you know, the the exuberance that she brings to the screen. I I also think that um, Harry Bradbeer's yeah the 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 the, um the Fleabag School of Filmmaking. Yeah, the Fleabag School of Filmmaking, breaking the fourth wall. Um, I think it's just delightful, and you know, this kind of. Uh, has echoes of Paddington, of Harry Potter, of that sort of like understanding what what it means to be English, but also being playful with the idea of being English. Yeah, it feels very well considered in every moment. Like there's a thing that this film does. Um, I think you know in 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 Sherlock Holmes movies, the mechanism is his inner monologue to be situationally aware, right? Like he he sees things that nobody else sees. Yep. In this movie. It's uh, what it does is she remembers things that she's been taught for this particular situation. So if you look at the 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 fight with the bowler hat man, yep. she's you know it's it's perfectly intercut with her learning her to Gorman. fight. Yeah, with Helena Bonham Carter. So and I think what what 
what works there is that the film is really confident and and knows how a scene that it's shooting like at this point is going to play perfectly with two or three scenes later on in a way that's entirely seamless. And that's a really challenging thing to do. And I think this film does it really, really well. Again, um, like you, Jamie, for me, the the. The, the, the thing that I thought was really strong about this film was the idea that it was presenting a view of what womanhood can be in a time when womanhood doesn't mean these things. And, and you know, like, I, I was kind of hoping that the Helena Bonham Carter, the, the story of her mother, and the, 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 the sort of um, the plot to destroy the House of Commons or something like that would be the central through line of this film. And it turns out not to be. And and that's where the film kind of loses me in terms of like sure. being a fully functional, you know, like a fully working film. I wonder. I wonder if it's a little. I I agree. Like it, it did get dropped off, and I almost feel like perhaps in the novel or perhaps in the screenplay initially there was a little more intersection of plots. Um, mm. Something I really like is that. Uh, it it's not just about sort of her finding this single person and, and her own exact relationship in it. Like the tie into the reform bill and yeah. the fact that, you know, she meets this kid and befriends him and he is the the ultimate solution to the reform bill. And so they have to, you know, uh, sort of get his life back on track by solving the mystery, I thought was uh, something that brought me back into engagement. And I really like nice if that if that. If that Tied if, if she if if Enola had to use that knowledge against her mother or you know yeah like, which is if what her I was, was expecting kind of part of, yeah yeah to, I, to I, a degree where like but as that as that last scene was happening uh, can I yeah you expected her mother to turn up I kept yeah. I was like I was waiting for Parliament to blow up I was waiting for something outrageous to happen because it just felt like we lost there was a loose there was just a, a loose rope flapping around waiting for Helena Bottom Carter to climb down it. I mean the yeah. that's kind of what does happen. Um man, could you imagine this movie ending if like uh, if if mom became the villain and parliament blew up? Like yeah. Like that would I, I be, can. and I and I kind of I crazy. think that crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, it would. No, I think that did lose me. But again, I I the second she ran into uh, Tewksbury on the train. I already just conceded that, like, yep, the mom plot and this plot's going to be tied together because that's what all mysteries and a lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff do. If there's t- if there's two mysteries, it's really one mystery. Like, th- this is how it kind of goes, right? So I didn't mind the the fact of it. I did, like, and I, and I like where it ended. It's just how it got there. Like, I like that the mom comes back and is like, you solved this without violence that I was going to do. Like, that's basically what the message is. Uh, and that's sort of a proud moment for all of them, though I think the getting there and sort of the setup of it uh, is a little weak. And she also did murder that guy. Well, yeah, but he was trying to murder yeah, her. Yeah, self-defense. Yeah, let's not. Let, also, <laughs> side note, fight scenes a little bit more brutal than I was expecting. Um, yeah, but in, not in a bad in that way. way that I think is I could imagine watching it if you're that age, it being like visceral. Yeah, if not feeling pandered to. I literally, 100%. I really like a lot of the non-pandering. I think this movie, this is this is going to be my main criticism, and it's to this point. I feel like the movie misused its runtime. Like, mm. the, the movie felt a little long to me, which is fine, but then, like, 
it also sped by the more interesting plot to stick with the less interesting plot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you could have just, I mean, I, I'm saying this like it's fucking easy, but like mm-hmm. if they could have like shifted that a little bit and done all the things we're sort of talking about, about like getting the mother a little more involved. Now, granted, I do think that the main strengths of this movie, as we've said, is Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, and Helena Bonham Carter. Th- th- I am here for their characters that they portray. Uh, heck, even even uh, uh, Burn Gorman, who uh, L- Linthorn, who is the the bowler hat guy, who's just the villain and fucking everything. I've never not enjoyed him. Like yeah. I'm always thrilled in anything he shows up in, usually in a bowler hat, grimacing, <laughs> chewing scenery. So like yeah. I- I'm here for the characters, and the characters kept me interested through the runtime, which is a, it's sort of a a backhanded compliment because I I was by the you know, our 35 minute mark, I didn't give a shit about what was going to happen plot wise. I just right. wanted to see the characters do things. And you know what the movie did? It had the characters do things. Yeah, I don't know exactly. if that's like what they were going for, but I enjoyed it even when I was like, okay, whatever. I am comforted yeah. to know, because I didn't have a terrible time watching it, but I am comforted to know that you kind of both also were like, oh boy, okay, it's still going. <laughs> like I, yeah, I, it's, I, it's, I, it's, I was like, Ugh, work's going to start and I'm not like, I'm not hating turning it off for a little bit. Like I had to, it lulls. It lulls in the, I guess, second and a half act. Yeah. I, I think the thing is, is that even when it's not working, it's still delightful. Yes. Is, 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 is why it kind of lands is even, even, even in the moments where you're kind of like questioning the storyline as a storyline or you're questioning, I, I don't think actually any character makes, you know, I don't think the film actually really puts too many wrong foots. It, it doesn't actually like derail itself in any yeah. terrible way. I just think it's sort of, loses focus in terms of what I think the more interesting storyline is here that would make it an elevated film apart to just a really fun movie to watch. I think we're we're also sort of, um, we should touch on the fact that uh, Millie Bobby Brown and her sister produced this and have a a deal with Netflix where they're going to be producing a few films. Oh, that's great. Um, And this is, and this was their first foray. And I think, I think I I like this idea that she is, you know, um, uh, leveraging the success of Stranger Things and you know her her entire personality into producing interesting mm-hmm. works that I think what's uh, why this works is I think this is perfectly tailored to her yes and perfectly tailored to her strengths as an actor and and to why I think we're interested in her as a public persona as well it's it's a very it's a very good match and using someone like Henry Cavill super no less than Superman himself and Geralt and, of Rivia for Christ's sake like yeah as a secondary character. I think is a really um, power, not a power necessarily move. a powerful statement, but it but it like it 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 draws a line in the sand about what is important here because the film goes out of its way to make sure that Sherlock never gets the upper hand in this film. Uh-huh. He is obviously in the position of power throughout the narrative because that is the truth of the world that they live in, but he is not in a position of power in terms of the story that we're watching and the characters that we are interested in. Movie Bob um, made a really interesting point how this was the uh, basically the Avengers of Netflix films coming together, or Netflix yeah. productions <laughs> coming together to make uh, uh, a thing. Shout out to Movie Bob That's for that. Because I was like, literally like everyone in this thing has been in a popular Netflix thing yeah, already yeah. um and and it it lands for those reasons i i think i think you know again and maybe look the expectations games with uh a netflix production with quarantine all changes the parameters of uh-huh. like had we had to go see this in a theater um and paid money to you know to go see this and if it was launched on a big on a big scale this movie is still 
um, you know, feels like a big movie. It, mm-hmm. it, it to me, it has the qualities of the early Harry Potters. It has the qualities of the Paddingtons. You know, like it has that kind of feeling to it. Yeah, English um, stuff. Um, so I kind of, I feel like the expectation game, because it's released on Netflix, it's so easily accessible, really does, doesn't diminish the quality. It just means that our ability to engage with it is, is, you know, playing on the right playing field, so to speak. Yeah. And, like we, and we, it being a young adult movie, getting. adults are watching it because it's not a movie theater movie, you know? Well, yeah. adults like, are watching it, might... it cause they're, cause they're, I mean, for a couple different reasons, but people well, we that might not. We are all in our 30s and sure, we sure, all sure. watch this But movie. what I'm saying is people are watching <laughs> it because, <laughs> be, yeah, because, because honestly, we are running out of movies. Like, not, like, in a kind of way, like, in not, we used to have theatrical releases and now we don't. So but people who not... might not have gone to Enola Holmes who might have just saw that, oh, that's a kid's movie, are now all going to watch it. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, well, I don't think it's just that. I think the film has a quality that, no. has a quality like The Goonies, for example, where as an adult you can actually there's a pleasure in watching this with cho- you know like your children and there's a pleasure in you know like it it isn't pandering to just one audience, you can actually enjoy it for what it is on its own terms. I'd yeah. be curious if the Goonies would hold up for an adult that didn't see it before. Like, we should get Jess Tucker back. Oh, you haven't seen it? No. Oh, dang. No. Get you and well, Jess. I know. just got a Blu-ray Jess of the Goonies. Tucker. Yeah, but she's, like, she's just our go-to, like, having not seen a thing I know. person. Well, as the person who just replaced all the music on your goddamn podcast, <laughs> uh, I love the Jess Tucker episodes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, shout out to Jamie Walsh for changing all the music on our podcast. Yeah, it's, go uh, back and listen there. to it. All guys, the new music, it's all new. Guys, well, it got to a point where I uh, one night tried to go to sleep and I shot myself awake because I was dreaming about just you two having a conversation. And I was like, no! <laughs> you know you didn't have to listen to the episodes. <laughs> she right? did. Could she just, just like, listened to the beginnings. But that's yeah, a lot. Just that's to the, 200 just, like, it, was a lot. it was a lot of yeah. beginnings. And you and Tristman should start a, uh, a support group. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to. Anyway, uh, I think this film uh, was a delightful sort of thing that I kind of needed right now. Um, Again, it plays back to where we are in the world and what we're sort of looking for in our entertainment. And having watched some more serious stuff, some more heady stuff, some more uh, um, uh, weighty stuff, I will say that this movie did exactly what I wanted it to do, not just being light and breezy and fun and fleabaggish, but also... Like, like Jamie, you even said, and I, or I think actually both of you, she here as well, said this is a movie that also has like a bit of a of a of an interesting message. Being it's that relevant. of it's very relevant. it's like it's relevant to today, and it's also a take on that time period, the Sherlock Holmes sort of era, where we don't get the female point of view literally ever. So like that was also really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Again, think it's a bit too long. Mom plot doesn't really go anywhere. But uh, uh, listen, you you give me good characters and actors having fun with them, and I'll show up every time. I mean, it, there's a lot of uh, anachronism in this movie. I believe I believe that's the right word for it. Uh, but because it's a it's it's so clearly a young adult movie, you you immediately are like, yeah, I I, I forgive it. Like the the <laughs> accuracy of of Victorian culture is not why anyone's watching it. They're watching it. For that aesthetic, I think, but uh, or at least part of it, but it's not it's not something that has to go by the line of of um, of a period piece, which must have been fun because most of the people who did the production uh, art direction and design for this movie have done a, like many, many uh, period piece English mm-hmm. monarchy, yeah. uh, you know, Victorian era film. And so I think it must have been uh 
quite a hoot for all of those people to get to do something with a little more flourish and a little more uh, play in in the history of the Victorian era, which we yeah. tend to sort of parade around and massacre anyway. But I actually thought that this it did use like a tasteful element of we're not going to take it too far. Like a motor car will be delete. No one's going to wear like goggles. There's no steampunk. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. It's just a motor car. But, you know, also you can like run and do karate in a corset. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. That yeah, actually drove me crazy. Jiu-jitsu. Even though jujitsu is the right move of martial arts for this, but like it is, but also the I books so that they annoyed. were reading like weren't published yet. Like there's a lot of historical inaccuracies, but who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. I I I, do, I genuinely think, you know, like yeah, there are problems with this movie and I think I think uh under under a greater microscope and not the microscope that we're presenting, but the microscope of being a cinema release or 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 something else where we're more focused on what this has to be instead of just enjoying it for what it is, gives this an opportunity to just be delightful and working in good faith, I think, which is the phrase I've been using for the last couple of weeks now. Um it it you know, like uh, and also there's a sense while while I kind of think that probably what's happening here is the idea that this will be set up for a franchise. Um, there's not a sort of heavy sense that this film is building to another, you know, like another story. I, I right. just sort of get the sense that there might be an, we could, we could as easily have another Enola Holmes mystery or not have another Enola Holmes mystery entirely. And I think that that's what, what works in the terms of like feeling like there's a franchise inevitable inevitability to it. Um, so yeah, I kind of, like you know, I enjoyed books. it on that level. Yeah. Um, if mom had blown up parliament, it would, there would have been a sequel for sure. Well, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm guessing mom's story is going to become bigger later on, but it could easily that this could just be it. And in which case it's not handled as gracefully as you kind of hoped it would be, but yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Well, everybody, this has been the only podcast about the film Enola Holmes, which is alone backwards. Um, What? Jamie, thank you so much for waking up bright and early this morning and watching Enola Holmes. Thanks. It was very lovely. Uh, I'm uh, I'm so glad I did it. When can people find you on the internet? When can yeah? When can they find you? Oh, (laughs) all the damn time. Uh, You can find me at only. Uh, yeah, only when I get up early to watch movies. Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at JimJam underscore Walsh and on Instagram at the same. Uh, those are all my websites. Oh, no, and uh, jlwalsh.com for uh, for other, other more professional content. Yeah, if you need any sort of art direction, graphic design, etc. Thanks, this is a classified ad for me. It is. This is what we're doing. Um <laughs> <laughs> that's that that's that sorry no she's very very good you can see that on her instagram page uh shahir when you are not solving mysteries via scrabble pieces in your own damn mind where can folks find you you can find me unscrabbling all the litters of my brain at www.shahirdowd that's s-h-a-h-i-r-d-a-u-d.com matt when you are starting your own beard franchising system where can people find you? You can find me secretly sneaking into Shahir's bedroom at night to shave off those sweet neck locks over at my website, M-A-D-D-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or Emperor M-S-K on Twitter. Also, please check out the good old-fashioned works we are doing on Extra Credits. I believe by the time this comes out, you will have access to the second in our Cleopatra series. I love that series very, very much. Also, uh, we are doing... Oh, our game jam episode is coming out on the following wednesday after this releases uh where we're showcasing some of our favorites from our um august game jam it's gonna be very very fun 
Um, anywho, uh, yeah. I guess we'll talk to you next week about a film. Sure. Or we could do the presidential debates from now on if we want to slam our heads against the tables for an hour. How about no, Scott? Everybody um, vote. <laughs> Everybody register to vote. Yeah. Go vote. Everybody vote. Do um, it. Uh, listen, I will say this. I, I texted Shahir about this the other day. Uh, for some reason, Real Steel was number three <laughs> on Netflix. <laughs> Why? What I is the, what, don't what's the know. Thirstman's doing is there, it. Is there a <laughs> robot army descending upon us that we need to be aware of? Maybe, but listen, that is. you want to talk about a fucking delightful movie. Holy shit. You want to hear me gush for an hour? Possibly an hour and a half. Maybe we'll do Real Steel, or maybe we'll do that later. I don't really know what's coming out, but we'll, we'll look it up on the internet when we uh, come up from our doom scrolling. <laughs> Email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com to suggest us movies or to send us your voting dick pics. Uh, All right, I'm leaving now. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.